Michael Yo's got his own show. Michael Yo's got his own show. If you're looking for a place to go, the only place to go is the Yo Show. The only place to go is the Yo Show. Welcome to the Michael Yo Show. Now we got to do a couple of things. I got to do some housework, as we would call it. Uh, so this side goes down on my YouTube page. You get the full podcast. I know you're listening listening to the audio right now, but you get the full podcast on my YouTube page. You'll get the clips on my Facebook page and you'll get my stand-up clips on my Facebook page, but you'll get my full special that drops March 17th called I Never Thought on my YouTube page. And I'm very excited about it. I just shot it in Tempe, Arizona. Bunch of, bunch of rednecks came out to the show where they wore buttons to the show. Trump 2024, they wore the uh, F- JB hats. And here's the thing about them, and we'll talk about this in a second with the comedian that's coming in, because he's absolutely phenomenal. But they bought everything, Brian. When I say they bought everything, like I said some jokes about them and they loved it. They loved it and then bought all my merch. I, I feel like, you know, liberals do not like that. They're not. I, they're I not. agree. I don't know oh. if I'm allowed to jump in yet, but okay, I agree. This is TJ. I 100% this agree. is TJ. I met him at Gotham. I'm in Gotham. I met him I, at the cellar in New York. He absolutely destroyed. He's been destroying here at the cellar in Las Vegas. TJ, now, let me try to say your name, your last name. <laughs> TJ, I got. Joachim. Joachim. Joachim is how you say it, like the French way. Like sometimes I try to Americanize it for yeah. people. I would say Joachim. Joachim. Yeah, which is like Joachim Noah, like the player that yeah, used to play Joachim. for the Bulls. Okay. Yeah, so I would say that. But, but it's Joachim. It's Joachim. Joachim. Yeah, I'm the French all over myself. I know, the French just will do that to you. They use a bunch of letters and you pronounce two of them. I love it. It's, it's a very wasteful kind of language. But it's a pretty sexy name, too. That, thank you, thank you. know, you. when you drop it on a, a lady, you're like, yeah. Joachim. Yeah, it's one of those, like, women find out I speak French and it's oh. like, it just... I, it's, almost, a, it's almost cheap now to use it to tell women that I speak French. They're like, do you want to speak French for me? And it's like, come on. It's a cheat code. Yeah, it is, yeah, it feels too easy. Wow. Now, yeah. so so um, when a woman approaches you and she like, speaks French, what, what is the go-to line you say in French that's just sexy? <laughs> is there a go-to line you go to? Not really. I mean, there's a very cliche line, like where people go, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? So, so yeah, like, but you're not going to say that. No, I would never say that. But. Yeah, but what would you say? I'm going to go, oh, hey, TJ, uh, I heard you f- speak French. What would you say to me? Can you say something in French to me? Ton manteau est super, Brian. Ooh, what's that mean? <laughs> Your coat is very nice. I meant <laughs> to say that. This is the I'm making money in show business code. That's a very nice code, Mike. You're killing it. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I like this code too. Yeah, it's good. You know what I love about it? I'm going to show you my cheat code with this coat. This ain't even real in the middle. It zips. It looks like it's part, like separate. Ah. It's part of the jacket. Ah, that's dope. Come that's, on that's now. I like it. You got to have a coat like this. I noticed when I go to New York, everybody got a coat like this. You yeah, got to have a coat. coat like this. Are you the kind of guy who dresses by yourself or you let your wife pick out what you want? Um, well, I'm not going to lie to you. I've never bought anything for myself. Okay. So, for instance, I got this jacket because I hosted a New Year's Eve show, and they were like, we got to dress you. So, they dressed me. <laughs> what kind? Was it a corporate gig? Why would they dress you? Because it was on TV. Oh, I, got you, it. Got I wear sweats got it. and a black. What's this T-shirt? T-shirts like this I wear every day with black sweats. Yeah, That's yeah, all I wear. That's yeah. all I wear. So, I don't dress myself. Like, don't let me dress myself. Right. And my wife... 
she like dress. I wouldn't say she dresses me because I dress myself every day. Mm -hmm. It's just the same thing. Yeah, I'm like Jobs. I wear the same outfit every day if I can. I have word. I, I bought. It's about comfort with you. You're not a fashionista. Like no, like no. Yeah. I hate you, the only thing designer I wear is Jordans. Okay, That's a, I'm a Jordan. I'm a. Fair I'm enough. not a sneakerhead. But I'm a Jordan head. I'll ha I have like, you know, 20, 30 pairs of Jordans. But I think that's a sneaker head. No. Sneaker heads are like 500 to 1,000. Like, to me, you're not a – I'm just a casual sneaker buyer. Well, you have 30. That's that's up there. It's it, – not really. Cause really? I have them from like 12 years ago. You know, that's I have a lot, though. I've never owned more than five pairs of sneakers at a time. Brian, where do you stand on this? 30 pairs of sneakers. Is you a sneakerhead? Definitely a sneakerhead. Really? That's basically a woman with shoes. I, I carry, I have one pair of sneakers at a time, and then they get holes in them like these, and then I go buy them. There you go. But see, but see, the difference is I don't wear them. I so you wear, just have them for decoration in the house? I do it in my podcast, the background. Like, like in my, when I do my podcast from home, it's just sneakers in the background. Because uh, I have some I don't want to wear. Like, I got the Virgil Whites before he died. Yeah, the last ones he put out before he died. Okay, I'll never wear those. Right, that I'll feels like a homage. You know, you just I have, have in there. I have the retro Jordans that Jordan wore, like the one of the first colorways, mm -hmm. and they're like 15 years old. I wear those, but I won't abuse them. They still look nice. You yeah. Know? What so about Yeezys? Are you a Yeezy guy? I hate those okay, shoes. Okay, good because I find them ugly too, and I, I don't know why anybody would pay a thousand bucks for sneakers or three hundred bucks for those sneakers. Yeah, I don't understand. It's hype. It's buying into like, oh, Kanye made this, and I'm a Kanye diehard, so I'm gonna pay whatever it takes to have Kanye sneakers. But it, in my it's foot. interesting that people are Kanye diehards because he's all over the place. You know, yeah. But, the, but then again, I look at Britney. And some people are Britney diehards, and I don't know if you've seen her Instagram lately. I follow her because it's crazy. <laughs> My girlfriend does. Oh, I thought her Instagram is bananas where you're like, okay, you free, but that doesn't make you in your yeah, right mind. Yeah, she's a little nutty. She's a yeah. little nutty for sure. I, I don't know what's going on. Last night she talked about pooping on herself. Like, it was just, <laughs> it was just really weird. But she didn't talk in first person. She wasn't her. She acted like she was somebody else. And was right. interviewed by a therapist, and she was saying her biggest problem is she poops on herself. Oh, God. So, like, it was very awkward. I feel like she's one of those people, like, one of those experiments we had with show business and fame, and the media fucking broke her. Broke. To the point of no return. She's gone. Like, people think it's good to be famous. Like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah, they think that. Like, I know a lot of, and I know a lot of famous people well, and I think why, and this is going to be such a big turn, but I feel like successful people, when they do commit suicide, it's everybody thinks, everybody thinks because I'm not this or that, that's why I'm unhappy. Yeah. But then when you get the money or the fame and you live it financially, you're on top. All you can do is now blame yourself. Right. And you shouldn't do that. But now you start blaming because before you at least you had it. Oh, if I had more money, everything would be if I was famous, everything would be better. And then mm -hmm. you get that. And then you're like, oh, it's me. Yeah, it's the and, illusion. This comedian used to tell me, I don't remember what the quote was, but there's a quote by someone who was rich and famous who said, uh, I hope everyone becomes rich and famous so they realize it doesn't solve anything. No, it's just more problems. <laughs> like, I hate to sound cliche, but more money. more. <laughs> yeah. But it really yeah. is because you got a bigger house now. And right. you're still trying to catch up payments with the bigger house. And you got the nicer car. And right. You got this and you got that. And sometimes it becomes uh, keeping up with your company. 
So now that you're rich, you're hanging out with people that are probably richer than you. Yes. So you don't feel rich anymore because now you want to be on their level. Now, is that because, you know, the rule is you hang around the five people that surrounded you is kind of who you are. Yeah. So if you hang around people that's not successful like that. Right. I mean, does that say something about your inner circle or does that mean you're just loyal to the people that were loyal to you back in the day? I, I think it has to be. You should be around people who know you, but the real you, yeah. not people who became part of your circle because they're also rich and famous. Yeah. Like who are the people that you knew before you were rich and famous? Cause mm -hmm. those might be the people that keep you honest and keep yes. you on your toes. Cause I noticed this when a lot of people get to a certain level, whatever work they were doing, the quality diminishes. And part of that I think is because you are now surrounded by yes men. Or yes, women. Because you're so powerful, no one can question you. So you could do something that's trash. They're like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Or, or you know. They can't, they can't tell you the truth. Perfect example of that. I know several singers that other people wrote their songs. Then when they reach a certain level, they're like, I want to write my own songs. Right. And it falls flat. And you're like, that's not what you do. You're not a no. songwriter. No, you're not. You just sing other people's <laughs> lyrics. This is what you do. That's Stay how in your lane, girl. Yeah. Stay in your lane. No, yeah. it's so true. It's so true. Well, I want to talk about you a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, your story is phenomenal, man. Yeah. Like where you started, what got you to New York. So first of all, tell people like where you grew up. I grew up in uh, Haiti, in Gonaive, Haiti, which is a town, the fourth largest town in Haiti. It's uh, where the, we have the claim to fame that this is where the independence was declared in Haiti. That's, that's what our town has. You know, every town has their little thing to brag about. So January 1st, 1804, that's where the papers were signed. They made the whole thing, and we became the first black republic on the planet, the first country to have a successful slave rebellion. So that's a pretty prideful thing to have. Uh, that's my town. So I spent most of my life there until about 15, 16, and then I moved to the capital, Port-au-Prince, and that's where I went to high school. And then I came to America for okay, college you, and all you that stuff. Okay, you skipped a bunch of stuff. I want to There's know, a lot. There's I, I want to know how you grew up because I read stories like you, you, it was very poor. Yeah. Very poor. Hey, how, was, how was that, man? I... The and thing how is, was it? Paint the picture for people listening. Here's, here's the thing, right? Poverty is very relative. Especially when you form a country where there isn't that much going on. So when you're a child, you're not super aware that you're poor. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, because 100%. My dad didn't know he was poor because... He, he was, you know, segregated. Yeah. So all the black people hung together. So he never knew he was poor till he started venturing out into the white neighborhoods. And they yeah. go, oh, yeah. we poor. Right. It's like, that's what people did. We all yeah. were living the same life. And even though I was, you know, Haitian and poor, quote unquote, the thing is, I was still a lucky kid because I was the kid in my neighborhood where, because my parents, you know, they, my dad worked for the government, so he was okay. But relatively speaking, he was poor, but compared to other people in Haiti, he was doing pretty good. Uh, so other kids used to come to my house and eat sometimes. If like times were tough at home, they would come to my house. So and you eat. never had a problem with food on the table growing up? I was pretty lucky in that respect. Good. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's, it was a life where I had no electricity, 
I had, you know, I had running water, I had those, but the basic stuff that the average American takes for granted, I didn't have them, but I never felt destitute. Now, that did that, now being in America now, and of course having electricity all, yeah. pretty much all your life after mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, after those times, do you think, look, everybody creates their own story, but do you think that actually more people need to experience that in America? The, then you know what I mean because I feel yeah. like in this country we get spoiled sometimes and when the electricity goes out for like a couple of hours people lose their minds it's like all right what about a life like that you know yeah yeah I don't know if they need to experience it because I don't know how you would go yeah about no you wouldn't yeah yeah but I do think when you come from that background you have a richer perspective on life and you less bothered by things that people take for granted because you know what life is like on the other side because you've seen it like if we lose power in new york for a couple of hours that won't bother me too much because i know what that's like and you know sometimes i used to do task rabbit before i was yeah. able to pay my bills with comedy and sometimes i'll go and do little things for people and i'm like why are you doing this i don't get it like sometimes i, I used to mount tvs and you'll see a guy mount a TV in his bedroom, one in his living room, and one in the fucking bathroom. And I'm like, why do you need three fucking TVs when yeah. you're just one guy living by yourself? But I think that's part of the American mindset, which is I need I TVs get everywhere. All of it. Yeah. So you know how to mount a TV? Yeah. Good. Yeah. I got like three my of them at home. I need to know. <laughs> no, yeah, man, it, that's how I made my money when I was coming up. Yeah. Did you ever uh, mess up somebody's TV? You ever drop it or anything like that? One time, yeah. So what happens then? He got really mad and he, <laughs> <laughs> he did not pay me. Uh -huh. And it, it didn't get like Physical, feisty. Yeah. He was just very passive aggressive about it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I get it. Uh, did you still hang it or did he like get out? Uh, I got out. Okay. <laughs> I got out. So, you know, you know when you know yeah. you're wrong? Yeah. Even mm -hmm. though you're tempted to argue, like, I can't argue with this. No, you can't. You this can't. is a TV that I probably paid $1,000 for and does a little crack. It wasn't a huge crack, but a little crack on the side of it. I was like, yeah, that's that's my bad. Okay, so you're in Haiti till about 16, 17? In, in my hometown until about 16, 17. Then, then I moved to high school in Port-au-Prince. Port-au-Prince, okay. And I left Haiti in 2008, so around 18, 19 years old. So now, 18, 19 years old, have you experiment, experimented with comedy in that no. time? No. No. So you moved to America, New York City. Yes, I went to school in Long Island. Okay, so you yeah. went to college in Long Island. Mm -hmm. And you just, what are you studying? Business management. Business management, and you're... Where are you in your life where comedy is starting to come in? Comedy started to come in my first year in America because so I got here and I was trying to improve my English. Because yes. we don't that's one of the disadvantages we have as Haitians because all the other Caribbeans, they either speak Spanish like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans, or they speak English. You know, you have Jamaicans and Bajans and Trinis. We're the only one in terms of those big islands that speak French. And it's, it's a disadvantage because we can't communicate with our neighbors because France took Haiti and we're the only one over there and we have this colonial past and it prevents us from having good relationships with the other islands. Whereas Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans, they all do that thing. They get yeah. along, they have this culture, they have the language. 
We didn't have that. And I think that made it very difficult for Haitian immigrants in the U.S. Because when you come here, you have to learn the English, language. English, and you only know French. French and Haitian Creole. Haitian, yeah. Yeah, so I came here, and I was just watching a whole lot of TV and reading books just to get my English going. Because we took English classes in school, but... If you speak with anyone who's lived in a country where they took English classes for that language, they'll tell you it's trash. Mm. They basically teach you grammar rules. They don't teach you how to speak to people. So I came here and I was sitting in classes and I was like, oh, I have no idea what's going so on. So did you, so you didn't even understand what the teacher was saying? Is that what you're? Most of the time, no. Because my English wasn't good enough to understand on a conversational level. So how'd you like get grades then? I basically figured it out. That's it that's out. when I just started watching TV almost whenever I wasn't in class, I was just watching television or I was just reading books to try to improve and force myself to speak to people. And it, like that was a very insecure time in my life because yeah. you're in class, you're like, oh, I don't know if I should ask questions because my English might not be right. The accent might, might be too strong. People might not get what I'm saying. So it was weird, but eventually watching that much TV – I started watching a lot of Comedy Central. Okay. And comedy is a really good way to learn a language because it teaches you about the culture around you. It teaches you about the politics and it teaches you the little idioms, the little things that you might say. You're like, oh, that's something that I would never learn in a book. So when you're watching these specials at the beginning, you don't even understand what they're saying. No. But I knew I, there was a connection because I like what these guys are doing. And do you remember the first couple of comics you really attached oh, absolutely. yourself to? Oh. Absolutely. Uh, so I got here in 2008, and that was one of the years where Cat Williams was huge. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember. It's Pimpin' Pimpin' yep. in the green suit. Yep. Uh, he was big. And I would watch him and be amazed, but I also knew I couldn't do what he was doing. Because he was so full of energy. Like, every set for this guy was a goddamn workout. Yeah. He's sweating. He's got a towel up 17 times. He's just jumping all over the stool. It's fucking crazy. And I was in awe of it, but I knew deep down, oh, that's not me. So you, your comedy mind was already gone where, oh, if I were to do that, I'm not him. Right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. It's almost like I'm praising it to a level where I was like, this is too great for me to attempt to do. Gotcha. Okay, okay. And then the turning point for me, I remember one time in college, my first or second day, I was trying to get some pussy because it's college. Can of we course. curse on this podcast? Of course, yeah. of course. And this girl, I went to her room. Well, she came to my room, actually. She uh -huh. came to my room and I said- and did you, did she speak French or were you- No, she was an American girl. So that was my attempt to try to, you know, do the college thing and okay. try to use the language and get laid. And I thought I would play some Cat Williams for her. <laughs> That would impress her. So I just put on YouTube and I played some cat and she liked it. And then she was like, oh, I got something else I could show you too. And she played George Carlin for me. Wow. And I remember watching that and thought, this is amazing, but this is more my speed. And why was it more your, besides the energetic part, did you, was it, because they're two totally. Yes. Very different. Different. Even in topics, how yes. they handle topics and everything. The topic part is where it felt like it was more my speed because I've always been sort of an irreverent kind of kid and I could just, I like to talk about things that people hold sacred. 
And I remember I was watching the, his bit on the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you remember that one. No, I don't. It's a famous George Carlin bit where he basically breaks down the Ten Commandments in the Bible and say basically they're all bullshit and they can be boiled down to two. Okay. And it was great. And I was like, he's a guy talking about something that Americans hold so sacred, which is the Bible and like all those things. It's a Christian nation. And he was doing it very bravely. He did not give a fuck. And he was getting laughs doing it. But he was doing it in a very composed way. He always described himself as a writer who performs his own material, as opposed to a performer who writes his own material. Got you. Yeah, and I, and I felt like I connected to that on that level. And that's sort of the beauty of comedy, right? Because here's Cat, who's a black dude like me. I loved him, but I knew I couldn't do him. Yes. And you have this irish older white man over there you're like that's and i'm me. like i could do that yeah, yeah yeah so so now you're in your 20s when do you first get on the stage uh august 14 2012 i remember it 2012 yeah and where was that at that was and how'd it go at an open mic on the lower east side at a place called lucky jacks and you know in new york you didn't come up in new york no, no, no. I came up in L.A. Okay, New York, there was all these open mics, and you got to pay $5. There's no free open mics in New York. So I had a budget for open mics when I first started. 20 bucks a day, you got to hit the 4 p.m., the 6 p.m., the 8 p.m., the 10 p.m. So my first one was I went to that place, and I chugged two beers just to get some liquid courage. Now, did you invite any friends, or was it just no, you? No, just you. it was a secret at that point. Okay. Yeah, so I went and did it. And it went fine because I had like written five minutes of jokes that I would practice in front of my mirror just to get the rhythm and memorize the jokes. So I went and did it and I got enough laughs where it felt like, oh, there's something. Yeah, that's that's it. But I didn't murder because usually no one murders at open mics. So I did okay enough that I was in. So you get the six and by the end of so you did four mics in one day. Yeah. So Yeah, that was pretty common back then. Yeah, so the last set, did you feel a lot better than your first set? A little bit. And did, did the last were the same every set, or did they start to get better and better and better throughout that, that one day? Not in the early stages. In the early stages, it wasn't. You couldn't feel the improvement because you're not even sure what you're trying to improve. You don't yeah. know yet what you're you. looking for. But I would say a couple months, and I could tell the difference in – how comfortable I was on stage. Because I really feel like when you first start, it's not even about jokes. It's about learning how to be comfortable on a stage. And I tell everybody that when comics start, the first three minutes of your set is just getting comfortable. And so really you're performing and you're not comfortable for three minutes. And then the last two, you're like, okay, you're starting to get your feet and then it's over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That was how it went so, so when did you know when did you know that oh okay i'm gonna do this for a profession like did you know the the first time you got off stage or was it like a year in six months three months no the first time i got off stage i knew i wanted to do it i didn't know uh i didn't have a blueprint of oh okay. this is by when i'm gonna stop making money or whatever i just like i knew that's what i wanted to do and that's what i chose to do Oh, I got to give you some backstory on why yeah. I chose to do comedy, actually, because I chose it because I liked it. But really, I got the courage to finally do it because I had a, a bit of an existential crisis. Uh, 2010, there's a big earthquake in Haiti. 
and I was in America, two years in America at that point. So I was in college and that sort of shook me to my core a little bit because it, it's, it's, it's a wild experience to, uh, your whole life, basically everything you knew, mm. it just disappeared in like five seconds. Cause the, the national palace where the president lives yeah. crumbled. All of that stuff was gone. So just, I was watching that stuff on TV cause I was here when it happened and it was just it's like, well, what's, what's life anymore? So it became, it's, it's a cliche where you go, well, life is short and it's fleeting. So I might as well do what I really want to do as opposed to just going through the motions. And at that time, I already had comedy in the back of my mind. I was like, I kind of want to do this, but I don't know if I'm brave enough or ready enough to admit to myself that I want to do it. And then this happened where everything is gone. I'm like, well, I feel short, so I would be really mad at myself if I didn't do comedy before I died. That's how I looked at it. Yeah, you never want to look back and say, what if? Yes. And, and I mean, the world is a better place because you do comedy, because you're so no, funny, man. You. You're so I funny. That. So you're going through this process. Uh, when did you feel like, okay, I'm solid. I can start inviting people out because I know I'm going to do well. Because I think there's a comedians go through this stage where they'll invite close friends when they first mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. But then, for instance, my wife, she came to my one of my shows because I knew I was going to crush that night. I was yeah. like, I'm going to bring yeah. it to a show. I'm going to take her out to eat. What This is going to impress her. But when I first started, I would never do that because I didn't know how it was going to go. When did you feel comfortable with like, yo, I want you to check this out. When you could impress somebody to come to a show. How deep in were you? Uh, I was... I was about four months in where I had like a five minute set that I'd been doing every single day at open mics. And I was like, okay, I like this. This feels good. I kind of had a closer. Like the first time you have a closer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the greatest feeling in the world. You're like, oh, I can close this set. You know, you're going to end with a big applause. Exactly. And, uh, I did it. I did my first bringer show, you know, oh, yeah, all you gotta, yep. and Gotham used to have this smaller room called the Metropolitan room in New York City. Is that the one that's underground now? Because uh, Gotham's, no, no, no. A, oh, okay. Is Gotham at a it's different a, place now? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's that. part of, you know, their, I don't know if they still own it, but it's like a very cabaret, very sexy, jazzy gotcha. kind of room. It's on 22nd Street between 5th and 6th. Mm -hmm. And they used to do bringer shows there. And I went there and I, I invited, I think, three friends. The guy who was doing it wanted seven friends, so he kind of almost didn't let me perform because I didn't have the minimum requirement. <laughs> So I had three friends who came and I had a great set. Like, you know, when you have the kind of set where you leave, you're like, oh, this is weird. Where like the first time you kill, it feels weird. Your body feels weird because it you does. Don't, you don't know how to react. And like, I tell I tell everybody, the people that listen to the podcast, I've heard this a million times. But when you're crushing on stage or when you're on stage, it's a superpower. Yes. Because literally... You control the crowd, but more than that, more than the control of the crowd and your crush, it's your senses are so high where you're saying you're set to the crowd. You're hearing conversations. You're thinking, what can I do to get this person? Yeah. In your mind, sometimes it's thinking not even about the stuff you're saying. I've never there's seen. There's a whole lot going on. There's a whole lot going and on. And you have to be so 
focused mentally because I remember the first time I did an hour. You realize, because there's so many levels to this. Like, yes. You do your first five minutes and it's great. And then you're like, all right, how do I get to 10? Mm-hmm. And then you do that. Then you do 15. And it's all different levels. But then you realize doing an hour is a whole different beast because oh, yeah. you have to, there's a different pacing to it. And now you have to compete with phones. How do I keep people's attention for an hour? Because if I lose them, they have this. They can immediately reject me and go to this because they're bored by whatever. Or the fuck they is can going just on. pick up conversations. Exactly. Say, or, start talking to whoever's next to them. And I tell you the the biggest part to adjust to when you first start the check drop. Yeah. Because yeah. it's kind of like you almost have to have a good like three four three to five minutes just during check drop that you know nobody really listening yeah. to. Yeah. You know because I don't care how funny you are. Once they got to pay the bill, it, all eyes and credit cards and it's right there on the bill. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I, I, fi- I figured out how to perform different set times just because there's a skill attached to it. But I yeah. just remembered that first five minutes. That was that was a glorious moment because you're like, oh, OK. OK, so we're going to play one of your clips right now. Feelings mm-hmm. are for poor people. Did you guys know that? That's all we have. They took everything. We got to have feelings. <laughs> poor people have so many feelings. You ever take the bus? And see the amount of feelings on that thing? (laughs) Every bus ride in Brooklyn is the most aggressive therapy session (laughs) with all clients and zero therapist. Sometimes even the bus driver expresses his feelings. (laughs) But then if you flip it, you hang out with really rich people, they're so fucking weird. They have no real human emotions. They don't even laugh like regular people. Here's how really rich people laugh. <laughs> Very amusing. All right, I love this bit because it's so true. You know, it's so true. And what I love about stand-up, we see poverty all the time. Yeah. But when you can find something funny about poverty, but bring it out to the open where you're like, okay, I feel that. Mm-hmm. How'd you come up with that bit? Uh, that bit happened... Because one time uh, I was on the bus in New York City. <laughs> and I mean, if you ever take public transportation in New York, you get to see some wild Everything. stuff. And I remember there were this, uh, <laughs> this older Latina woman. She was listening to music really loud on the bus. And this other older black woman said to her, hey, can you... Lawyer, music that's disrespectful to everybody. And she was like, fuck you, bitch. You don't tell me what to do, all that kind of shit. And the other was like, well, you're a child. You should fucking shut down your music because we're all on this bus. And then the Latina woman go, you can suck my dick, bitch. And then it became a whole thing like younger people had to stop them from fighting each other. <laughs> and at that moment, I was like, this is hilarious, but it's also kind of sad because these women are old. Like, they went their whole lives not learning how to manage conflict where they almost had to fight yeah. on a bus. On a bus. And yeah. that, you all on the bus. You know? Yes. And that's what's crazy about and it. And that's yeah. when you realize that sort of part, part of this is poverty because yeah. poor people have a lot of feelings about everything. I'm sure that fight wasn't even about the music. Yeah. It's just about had, we're on public transport. I never I don't have other a car. shit going on in their lives. Yeah. And all those feelings came up because you feel disrespected by someone else. And then you're ready to fucking fight. And that's what poor people do. And I wanted to be careful <clears throat> not to make this 
about race because I don't think yeah. it's race. No, it, hey, it's just your level of comfort in life. Mm-hmm. And then I had this part of the bit. Then I had the other part where I would get invited to do shows sometimes for rich people, and then realize, oh, rich people don't laugh really mm-hmm. at comedy shows because it's whatever to them. They they don't seek out joy. They don't express joy the same way poor people do. You know what? That's so true because I feel that because I've done, you know, when you do a corporate show, mm-hmm. like for a big company, most of those people in that room is rich. They got yes. stocks and all that. Yes. And comedy is all about, you know, connection and them knowing the struggle you're going through. Yeah. You know, they got to feel it. And a lot of times people even they forget where they're from and they uh, they're super rich now and they don't identify with the only time rich people really laugh with everybody else if they're in a like a seller. Yeah. You know. Yes. Because I feel like no matter what level you are of success you can identify with something mm-hmm. unless you're in a room full of them. Yeah. Then it's more of oh I'm not going to laugh cuz my boss didn't laugh because this person yes. and I don't want to get in trouble. A lot of politics. A lot of politics. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of where that bit that's comes from, bit. just seeing how people on that social class react to things versus the super rich. So now, uh, how'd you, what happened at the cellar? How'd you get in the cellar? Because we're at the cellar right now, dude. Oh, man. How'd you get in? And what was that? Did you have the conversation with Esty? And yeah. break it down like that <clears throat> for me. That's probably, if not the, but one of the proudest moments in my young career so far, just because. I, I remember doing open mics in the village and I would just walk by the cellar and just would look at it as this dream where like all the greats have been and, you know, Louis and Louis made it so famous with yeah. putting it on the TV show, Louis. So it became this iconic place where you would want to be all the time. I remember I would go to the olive tree and just eat dinner and then look at the table. Look at the table, yeah. Envy and desire, be like, oh, I can't wait to be there one day. I'm going to be fucking there. And, you know, I because the seller has a process and I remember reaching out to people trying to get them to uh, recommend me. And a lot of people were like, I think you're funny, but I got seven people ahead of you. Yeah. So there's a long wait list and you got to play that game. So I was like, you know what? I don't mind. I'll wait my time. I can't force you to recommend me if you're not ready. So I waited every six months or so I would. Hey, how's your list going? Because I'm still here. I'm working. And you're, you're talking to Esty about that. No, not Esty. Who you the comedians who the would comedian. recommend Okay, okay, got you. Yeah, because you can't go to Esty directly. Yeah, no, 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 no. So eventually, I think right, af- like right after they reopened during the pandemic, I was able to get three comedians who were like, all right, I think we're good. Let's do it. And they recommended me to Liz first. Love Liz. Yep. Yes, this place would not function without Liz. She's the fucking She's a firecracker, man. Yes. So Liz got me to come on a Monday and do four minutes for her. And what what room? In the bar. Oh, okay. Fat Black Pussycat, the bar, which is a little bit tougher. But, you know, at that moment, you're like, I'm ready for whatever they throw at whatever me. Whatever they... And I got to fucking do it. So I had a good set in that room. And she was happy with it. So she said, all right. Here's, here's my information. Email me a clip, and then I will pass it on to Esty. And then I did all that. And How I long did you anything. debate on the clip you were going to send? Not that long, because I had a clip ready for that oh, moment. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, because okay. I had a bunch of clips, and I was like, this is the clip that I want, because it's a good representation of What clip me. was it? 
Uh, it's a clip from my Amazon special. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's seven minutes. Okay, and it had all. I felt like he, it had the jokes that I would want her to see gotcha. because there was who I was, there was what my style of comedy is, and there was what my stage presence is, and I wanted all of that. It's very rare that you get lucky enough to have a clip with all of that, and there was that in there, so I sent it to her, and I waited like couple of weeks without hearing anything. And then I was debating whether or not I should follow up with Liz because I had this dilemma. So you're, where going, you're still going to the seller. I'm still going. Just showing seeing, her face. And you're seeing Liz. Yes. But you, but you don't want to say anything because exactly. you don't want to be like, oh, now I'm bothering them. Exactly. Gotcha. And that's that delicate balance. You got to go. It's like, oh, what if Liz hates me now because I keep following yes, up? Yes. Yes. And now I just lose the spot. And I remember talking to my therapist about this because <laughs> I legit was losing sleep over it. Because I'm like, does this mean she didn't? Pass me on oh, to her. Start making all kinds of yeah, yeah. Or excuses. does that mean Esty saw the clip and didn't think I was good enough? I don't know what's going on. And I was like, "Listen, man, what do I do?" And he said, "Look, you have to follow up because if she wasn't gonna pass you, you following up is not gonna be the reason she doesn't pass you." It's true because you got to remember she's dealing with two hundred comedians, and she has to book a whole club. So it's very easy for her to forget about you. Yeah. You need her more than she needs you at this point. So it's your job to follow up. So I followed up, I think, four times. So how did you follow up? Just went up to her or you emailed her? or you I texted her. I was like, Esty. hey. No, Liz. Liz, okay. Yeah, okay. I didn't have Esty's number at okay. that point. It was Liz. I was like, hey, just went to follow up. I, I don't know if the clip got and lost. And did she hit you back or she kind of yeah. just, okay, she yeah, did. Yeah, okay. she would hit me back. One time she kind of blew me off. She just didn't reply. But then I kept following up, and then she eventually hit me back. And I didn't hear anything for a week. And then a week later, I got an email from, I sort of given up hope. I was like, ah, oh, maybe I'm not going to get yeah. in the cellar, so I'll just wait. And then I got an email from Essie that said, hey, I saw your clip. Can you come Friday to do five minutes? <gasps> okay, it's showtime now. And it was one of the happiest moments of my life. But that only lasted like two seconds. Then you realize, oh, shit, now I got to go and do five minutes for Esty. Yeah. And then, you know, I planned it. I was ready, but I wasn't like, there's still an element of fear. Because you feel ready for something. Because you've been working towards that goal. So I know I had the five minutes that she would like. But there's still that element of well, if you don't it's have comedy, the, yeah, it's comedy. You don't anything you never could know go what's wrong. Gonna, somebody could yell out in the middle of your set and That's just screw right. everything up. That's right. So I went down there. Uh, I remember it on a Friday. Village Underground. No, the original room. The real okay, okay. Comedy Cellar McDougal. and Mike Yard was hosting. Yep, and he's great. Gave me a super nice intro. He was very kind to you know guys coming in, and I remember I went up there. And what? I, hold on, before you. What I love about being in, you see all the comics kind of come into the yes. room because they want to see. Yeah, because they want you to do well. They're like, oh, yeah. there's this new guy. We've seen him. We know yeah. he doesn't work here yet, but we think he should be working here. Yeah. So let's come. And they all came down, and I did it. You destroyed it. It was a great set, and I could see Esty laughing. And then I remember I got off stage, and she grabbed me by the arm, and she was like. You're very funny. Come upstairs. Let's talk. Ah, <laughs> yes. That's the moment right there. And it felt like I became a made man. You know, when you're yes. in the mob, you're like, oh, you got your finger pricked. You got to take the oath. Now I'm part of the club. And she sat me at the table. 
the table that I've been watching for years and wow. wanting to be a part of it. She sat me there, and if I was more sensitive than I am, I would I would cry. Uh, my I friend, didn't cry. My friend got passed like probably a month and a half ago by Esty, mm-hmm. and he cried. And yeah. she was like, take that outside. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's Esty. She's a tough yeah. lady. So yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to cry, but this was, a, this was a good moment. That's amazing, yeah. man. How can people follow you? I'm at TJ Stand Up on Instagram and Twitter. Those are the ones that I use the most, but mostly Instagram, at TJ Stand Up. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it, all right? Thank you for well, having me, man. We'll catch up soon. All right, here's the deal. Remember, on the YouTube page, full podcast. Clips will be on my Facebook page in March 17th, 2022, just in a couple of months. My new special is coming out, and it's two years after I went, exactly two years after I went to the hospital with my big COVID case on March 17, 2020. Full circle moment, March 17, 2022. The special is coming out. Follow me on Instagram, and make sure you subscribe to the YouTube page. We'll see you next time. Later.